Good afternoon, everybody. I think we'll have a fun conversation today. It is procurement month, as you guys all know, or most of you, I'm sure. So at Civic, we've been doing a theme of what's your why, where we're talking to people about what it is about procurement that moves you and motivates you and how we take that energy into the next generation through our staff and through bringing people into the profession. So today we have three people that I respect in higher ed procurement who are going to talk about some of their experiences against some of these questions. Let's do some quick introductions. I'm Dustin Lanier. I'm a certified public procurement officer. I was with the state of Texas for 10 years and started Civic uh, 13 years ago. And we work around the country for procurement shops on your operations and transformation type projects. So that's the only commercial you'll hear from me today. Let's go around and let people introduce. We'll just go in the order that's on this slide. Greg, in your very Oregonian picture there, uh, give a quick quick introduction, and then we'll just sort of go down the list. Yeah, so Greg Shabram, Chief Procurement Officer at the University of Oregon. I've been in this role for, I think, seven years now, and uh, I was at U of O before that. I did a quick inter intermediate stint at Boeing uh, in between my two times at U of O, uh, and uh, yeah. Um, that it's actually, I got Crater Lake behind me. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a hotel room in Florida right now for, I was at a conference. So, uh, I'm far away from Oregon, but, uh, I'm, I guess here in spirit. Yeah. That, and, and you reminded me that you did do us a, a favor by agreeing to do something on the road. So I do appreciate that. Um, Jennifer, you want to go? Yeah. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jennifer Alvarez. I am the procurement director here at Palm Beach State College. Now, I'm pretty much the newbie to higher education because I'm starting my second year now um, here at the college. I, um, however, do have 23 years of public procurement experience at the cities and county levels here in the great state of Florida. So that's a bit about my background, and I'm just really pleased to be here today and um, chat about what we all love. Excellent. Don, you are... You're well known in both um, higher education and uh, in NIGP land, so you're. Uh, I really appreciate you making your time on. Give a quick introduction. Sure, um, Don Buffum. Um, I'm an NIGP CPP. I um, started my career in 1980, and I worked 26 years for the state purchasing office. Um, was the state purchasing officer for the state of Mississippi. And then about uh, 16 years ago, I came up here to Mississippi State, and I've been, I'm now the Associate Vice President and Chief Procurement Officer at Mississippi State. So the theme of this webinar is, what's your why? And I did some, we had four or five of our team members talk about things they find to be important and impactful on procurement. I did an article that drew a line between some of the things talking about the impact on citizens. And that was kind of the common theme is the ability to do good for other people. So you know, this is the one question where we'll kind of go down the line. And then on the rest of them, you guys can pick and choose which one you want to jump in on. So Greg, how did you first get involved in higher ed procurement? I mean, it was pure luck, right? So I graduated law school in 2009, which is a rough time to, to graduate law school and uh, not a lot of jobs on the market. So I got a job as a contract specialist um, at U of O, uh, it was a, a temp job. Um, and, uh, so that, that's how I, that, that's sort of where I got started in it. But I, then I went and worked in private practice for a little bit, realized that being a practicing lawyer wasn't my favorite. Uh, and I was comparing that to the work I'd done in higher ed procurement. And so I came back to higher ed procurement. Um, uh, I think the, the, the thing that drew me back was 
the public service component. Uh, you know, you can use a lot of the skills that you learn in law school and business skills to, uh, you know, further the public good. And, and I think that higher ed does that in a very particular way, um, you know, with education and with research. Um, and it, it gets, you know, has a lot of, ex there's a lot of exciting programs on campus and a diverse amount of programs on campus. So you're always learning something new. And those things that you're learning are things that, uh, you know, serve the public good in a way that's that you can see really positive impacts um, in your local community and nationally and all this other stuff. So uh, I, I sort of fell in love with the public service aspect of working in higher ed um, and then using the business tools to protect those that, that are, or serve that public good. And that's what I, that's what that's what kept me here this long. Jennifer. Sure. Um, so like most individuals, I did sort of fall into public procurement about 23 years ago at Miami-Dade County. Um, and like I mentioned a little while ago, I you know, was really working in cities and counties ever since. But um, my move to higher ed was definitely very intentional. I had been kind of wanting to go into higher ed for a long time. Um, so when this opportunity kind of came about, I was I was thrilled for it. Um, I really liked and I had this vision that has so far been sustained in higher ed of a really positive environment. Um, and so far, I've gotten that here at Palm Beach State. I really feel like I hit the lottery coming here. Um, and so I just really love, very similar to what Greg says, I really love the public component in this very unique setting of education um, and seeing the results of that. So it's been very invigorating for me and it was a very intentional move and something that I've been really happy, happy to do. So. How about you, Don? Well, I think like everybody else, it's kind of a two-step process. I, I got into procurement um, because I was engaged to get married and my future mother-in-law found a, a job interview for me. And rather than telling her, no, I was going to turn down that $11,000 a year job. <laughs> I took the job in procurement um, because that was the only thing I had. I was, it was either that or continue driving the bakery truck for $10 a day plus donuts. So that's how I got into procurement. But over that 26 years at the state, I was able to work with a lot of state agencies, cities, counties, and it was always exciting and fun to see what the different people were buying. Um, wildlife was buying stuff for parks. Uh, marine resources buying stuff for, you know, doing research in, in, the, in the Gulf. Um, but the universities always had some really interesting things they were buying. One, one of our universities was buying marijuana seeds back in the 80s because they were doing research on it for the pharmacy school. So uh, it's like 16, 17 years ago when the job came open at Mississippi State, um, my wife had come from the city, you know, my daughters had gone to the school. So I felt that it was a good fit for us and for me to um, move into a position where I could work with the university and be involved in some of that research and the education for the, the kids, the students. But the university, being a land-grant university, serves the public statewide, helping the economy of the state through research and you know, obviously agriculture is huge in Mississippi, but some of the other stuff we're doing is just incredible. So yeah, it, it was a, it was a, like Jennifer said, it was a decision I made that the university would be a good setting for me um, for the rest of my career. Excellent. You talked a little bit about some of the meaningfulness. These days get long and, and of course, COVID made things super long. And then now a lot of things have snapped back in where people want to 
um, to, to go back to projects that got left off during COVID. I've seen a snapback in retirements as far as people who had delayed retirements because of COVID. Now there's some staffing issues overall. So it's got to still be pretty heavy work out there, right? So how, how are we staying motivated and engaged when it's easy to get lost in the little stuff? Dustin, I'd like to answer that. It, the question is, how can I not stay motivated when we're talking about some of the stuff we're doing? Um, we've got one of the three largest supercomputers right now. We've got, we're, we've got uh, unmanned aircraft that we're doing research on. The stuff that's coming across my desk every day um, impacts not only us here in Mississippi, but people around the world. We're doing some um, research for the Department of Defense that, uh, let's just say, is entertaining information about cyber issues. Um, so it, it's hard not to be motivated. But now, of course, every day, you know, there's some, there's some things that get agitate and get on my my nerves. But when you start looking at the big picture, we're having an impact on the world. And um, it's like I, one of my favorite saying is saving saving the world one purchase order at a time. So I like um, it. <clears throat> it's it's exciting. It's fun stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll just I think I kind of agree with you, Don. That that's exactly the 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 diverse array of things that we work on, right? Like. I've rented a cheetah before, right? <laughs> so it's a pretty weird thing to do. But we, we you know, we had an, an exhibit in our, our art museum, um, and we that part of that had to have a cheetah come. And so this cheetah showed up, and we had to work out the liability of having a cheetah on campus, and that was fun. Uh, but you know, uh, I, I think you you it goes both ways, right? I think you have you oftentimes you have a lot of challenging customers that have that really high expectations, and in, in the, especially in the research side. Right. But those customers are also working on really cool stuff. And I find that, you know, it's it's motivating to connect with those customers and understand what they're doing. Um, I, I mean, I think we have a new uh, we have this uh, research facility called the Knight Campus um, uh, for accelerating scientific impact on our campus. And uh, it's a big project to do applied sciences and they're building a new building. And one of the things they're building is a, t a tissue culture lab where they will literally print tissue uh, to study on these like lattices. Um, you know, it's, it's those types of very uh, cutting edge technology type things that you learn about that people aren't really aware is happening that, you know, it, it, you have to be ready to learn a new thing that you have no experience or expertise in pretty much every day, which is, I think, very, very engaging, right? It, it, it's not a monotonous, it, it can, if you, if you, if you have a tactical approach, it become, can become not monotonous, but if you keep a strategic approach and you focus on all those cool projects, it's very non-monotonous um, and can be very rewarding. So Jennifer, why don't we lean that into this next one? If, how do you then express that in the way that you organize work? You want to stay mission-driven. Stuff is coming across, little stuff, big stuff. How can you help make sure that the procurement function is able to provide that strategic role? Don, I like the uh, saving the world one purchase order at a time. I think you need to put that on a shirt. I think that would sell. Jennifer, any thoughts on how you kind of translate that energy into the way that you organize work? Yeah, I, you know, I try to do what we know internally as strategic procurement planning, but I don't necessarily tell our end users that that's what we're doing um, because they may kind of 
take a step back. But what I like to do is just employ a collaborative approach. And I try to encourage, um, particularly as we start winding up for the new fiscal years, I try to encourage kind of these strategy sessions with different departments to start reviewing their needs for the year and then collaboratively kind of itemizing those needs and working out a roadmap, a procurement roadmap for them on each of those needs. So we all kind of have a feel for how we're going and how we're scheduling out our years. And that seems to be really um, effective. Um, People feel engaged. People feel like you're listening to them and that you're not going to just, you know, take them on a case-by-case basis. So really kind of that's what we, as we know, we call strategic procurement planning, but we just let them know that we're here for them. And then we offer these strategy sessions and we kind of map out some game plans as the fiscal year um, approaches um, so that when their needs finally pop up and arise, those contracts are there and they're waiting for them and ready to just get requisitioned. So um, that's my main approach when it comes to dealing with that. I think it, it helps us feel a little bit more organized and uh, somewhat of a chaotic profession that we work in. Good stuff. Well said. So, and actually it kind of leads off of um, her discussion about uh, strategic planning. Sound like you're hiding the vegetables inside of the, uh, inside of the mac and cheese. Uh, I like it, Jennifer, you know, we're not going to call it strategic planning because they don't want to hear it, but, right. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, it is strategic planning because we have to start creating messages with our end users about the fact that, if we want to do work at quality, then it's helpful to know what's coming so that we're able to say this kind of thing, I need Steve on that one. And so if it comes in this time frame, I'm going to be rushed. But if it comes in that time frame, I can hold my powder dry so that Steve's available. So um, I think there is a real art to taking this why that we're talking about and then communicating it out to department leaders and well, departments and leadership stakeholders so that we're elevating the understanding that this is not just a purchasing micro activity of fill out a requisition and paper magically shows up. There's a lot of strategic capacity in procurement. And the more that departments and leadership can really understand the ability of procurement to be that strategic asset for them, then the more that we're all kind of combined on that why. So how do you guys communicate this elevated understanding of what this is to busy departments and leadership that maybe has only the vaguest understanding of, of the area of procurement? I'll, I'll, I could take this one. I, I, I thought this is a great question because I think there's two parts of it. There's the why of why are we motivated? I think that's, that's an easy answer and I answered it. But then when we're working with, the, with our customers, the big challenge is Oftentimes they want to do it a particular way or, 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 you know, go directly to a particular vendor. And we have to provide a, why are, we're going to do an alternative process that might require more formality. Right. And, you know, I, I try to focus on, there's the compliance oriented, oh, we need to do an RFP for this. Right. And that's, you know, we can lean on that, but that's, I don't think the way we should be communicating to customers why we're doing, using the tools that we have, like public sourcing events. I think we should be communicating to them to say like, hey, this is a, this is a tool, a mechanism that we can use to, one, maximize our leverage with the vendors to get the best value, right? Two, really be thoughtful about how, what we're buying, why we're buying it, 
you know, going through the, the, the rigor of identifying what it is we actually need to, and, and how we're going to meet those needs in the most efficient and effective way possible. And, you know, I found that if you have that conversation with your customers, you know, you know, we had so many times where we've had customers come to us and say, hey, we got to go and we need this, this vendor. And then we've done some sort of sourcing event or some sort of RFP or whatever. And they've gone with someone else. And they've been surprised that they've gone with someone else, but they didn't realize this other option was out there. And it's going to, you know, there's some additional functionality that they weren't aware of. And those are all like huge value adds. Connecting it back to, you know, we support the mission of the institution. We want to get them to where they want to go. And we have expertise in, in finding and identifying, you know, partners in the private sector, vendors and uh, suppliers that can get them to where they want to go um, in a way that they may not have that expertise. And so we're here to help them. And I think being able to have them see that help in influence the outcomes of their research is sort of the best way to not just tell them about the why, but demonstrate the why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally agree. And I, I think that um, I try to pr- tell our departments that, you know, use us like you would a GPS. If you tell us, um, you know, that you want to get from here to Seattle, um, you know, we can tell you the best way to get there without hitting roadblocks, detours, and we, we can get you to where you want to be. But if you don't, t- you know, if you just take off and go west and you don't tell me that you want to be in Seattle until you're in in Tijuana, then I can't help you. So, um, yeah, the, the whole concept of talking to them, letting them know that we're here to help them get where they want to be. We're not here to be the stop sign, you know, um, which a lot of, you know, quite honestly, historically, that is what the purchasing office was looked at as a big, huge stop sign. But if we can figure out how to say yes to them um, using the right tools, right techniques, then they're better off, we're better off, and we're all within that nice little um, thing that's called within the law and policy. So um, I totally agree with you, Greg. Working with them to figure out where they want to go is the biggest key. And if the earlier they get on board with us and communicate that to us, the more we can help them. Good stuff. So there was a question um, that came up in the chat about how to start if you are new and don't have a very experienced team. So I'll give a, a quick riff on that. And if anyone else wants to jump in, then um, then please do. And then we'll go into the next sort of planned question. You know, if you're starting from absolute dead zero and assuming you're in public procurement at least and, and higher ed, you know, certainly taking advantage of some of your um, national resources that are available to you, like NAEP, which is, of course, the sponsor of this uh, of this webinar, NIGP, which is, you know, very involved in helping people build stuff up. I think those are places where I would talk. I would try to really understand what has been the historic use of the procurement department in terms of how have things actually been done in the past? Is it just the wild, wild west and everybody buys what they do and sends it into finance and finance cleans it up at the end? Do we have a P-card strategy? Do we have a co-op contract strategy? So at least taking stock of what has happened in the past, because of course there was some past before, to be able to say, how can you start bringing some activities together that makes the process have some compliance and some planability, but then not just stopping at 
at that simple plateau of compliance, but then how do you start saying, well, I see so many transactions over here in this type of thing. Maybe I should go research a co-op contract that would save us time or create a savings. So anybody else have a suggestion for somebody who's been parachuted into somewhere new and they want to find their why, but but they really got to get their arms around that how uh, so that they can get to the why? <laughs> well, Dustin, you know, obviously my background has been very much with NIGP. So I'm just going to throw out a few things that I know I've been working with them on and they've been working on. There's a concierge program now um, where you can either an individual or an organization can get some guidance on what directions to go in um, training, teaching, you know, what what career paths to take. Um, there's also one of the things I always like to suggest to people is go to the, um, the global, you know, global best practices and read through those. In fact, it's, what's really a good idea is to read through those with your team and look at each one individually and say, okay, how do we compare to this? What are we doing different than this? The global best practice may not work for you, but it's always a good idea to, to figure out how you're different than what that is aiming for. Um, there's so many options. You know, one thing, getting involved with your um, local um, NAE, with, your, with NAEP, with NIGP, with your local chapters, um, there's peers out there that have been where you are all the time. And by reaching out to them, you can gain a whole lot of quick wisdom and po possibly not make the same mistakes that we've all made in the past. Good ideas. <clears throat> I, I would just add to that that I think higher procurement in particular is one of the most collaborative uh, professions and groups that I've been around. And, you know, developing that network of peers, going to the conferences, talking to people, having that, hey, can I just email you really quick? Yo, did you do an RFP for this already? Can you send it my way? I was literally doing that earlier uh, <clears throat> with uh, some folks from around the country. And it very, very uh, useful thing to have because we don't need to reinvent the wheel. And, you know, we, we don't, we're not really, I mean, our universities kind of compete with each other, but they, I don't think in the same way that they do in the private sector. And so we have this huge opportunity to be collaborative and, um, I think that puts us in a good position to not reinvent the wheel, like you said. So coming back to the programmed question sets. So one thing I'm particularly passionate about, and I've had an opportunity to build some speeches around and, and really get out and talk about is uh, extending the RY into conversations with the next generation. I have a speech called Talking It Up, which you know, really tries to talk to procurement professionals about how we talk about how we came to procurement and what we get to do in procurement in ways that are going to resonate with young people and make them consider this career path because there is a lot of opportunity to do great things in this, but there's cultural issues on the way work happens, et cetera, that I think it's really important that we plan proactively on how we encourage the next generation of procurement professionals to find meaning in this work and not just have it be something that they're passing through, but something that they can see as a career opportunity. So the question I wrote here is, how do you approach mentorship and professional development within your organization and encourage the next generation to find meaning in their work? I've been surprisingly quiet, but on this um, topic, I could probably speak for a long time, so you might have to cut me off at, at some juncture. But, you know, when I talk about professional development and mentorship, I, I'm going to share what I like to do. And if that helps anybody or gives them a snippet of something they'd like to um, employ and 
please go forward. But it's kind of like what Don said before, and I feel like he stole my thunder. It's, you know, one person at a time. So each member of your staff, for example, every member on your team, you know, they have their unique set of skills and strengths and their different approach. What I try to do is take the time to learn those, right? Um, And by learning those, I can figure where those strengths are and try to start multiplying those strengths so they can apply it. So that's what I like to do. Um, I like to make sure I give my staff the tools they need to move on. And that goes to the question we got um, earlier um, related to the first uh, folks that are starting out. Um, I make sure I prepare a budget that includes professional development, not just for myself, but for my entire team. And I defend that budget with everything I've got. I will die on the hill for that budget, for that professional development, so that, again, um, everybody has those skills um, um, and everybody feels confident in what they do. And once that gets developed, then they feel really good about suggesting those um, innovations, the suggesting those different ways of doing things. They really kind of can build that confidence and feel like they have that foundation. Um, but there's something else I wanted to say about that topic um, when it comes to encouraging um, and, and, and whatnot. And this applies to procurement. It could apply to other things. But one of the things I try to also do is just recognize that procurement's hard. Okay, this is not easy work. It's very complex. Um, procurement staff, as well as your end users, get frustrated as can be, right? You, Dustin, you said the wild, wild west sometimes, and we feel like that. So I like to just recognize that out front with my staff. And in those specific times, especially when your staff feels beat down or disrespected, which we know happens, people get frustrated and they start becoming disrespectful. Um, my approach always is, you know, how can I best support my team? How can I show them that I have their back? And so um, I think that that really can turn the tide for your team. And I also try to make sure I do that, even when it's my employees that might have goofed up, right? Errors happen as long as we're honest about it and we work together to a solution. They're always going to know that I have their back. So I think that when you do that, um, again, one person at a time, you do that one at a time with your team and even with um, members from, you know, end user departments that really is going to be so encouraging for your staff. It's going to make them want to come to work every day, knowing that their boss has their back. So it's just one of the things I always like to talk a whole lot about. Um, So I'm going to stop right there, but those are some of the things I wanted to speak on that question about. So I I think that hired procurement is, there's a lot of, if you look at like what young people are looking for in a career, we kind of have it, right? It's, it is a public service career where you are, you know, doing something that, that can be, that can actually provide meaning. I think a lot of uh, young people aren't as interested in just getting into the, you know, the corporate grind (laughs) um, and trying to make as much money as possible. Um, it is not, I mean, it's not the most lucrative career. There's a lot of procurement people that can make more money in the private sector than you do in higher ed. But if you, if you set up a good situation, it can be very rewarding. You know, I think keeping people motivated, I mean, that, that's, I think one of my biggest challenges right now is that we have a good team, but keeping people motivated when they're, you're struggling with, you know, challenging customers, that's, that's a big lift for us. I, um, the deal I make with my team is that we have a set of values and I say, if you can, if you make choices, I'm empowering you to make choices. I am not going to micromanage what you do. If you can 
when you make a choice can point back to one of our values and how that value informed that choice, then I'm going to support it hundred percent of the way, all the way to the president, right? I'm going to have your back. I, I think that's, you know, like Jennifer said, having the back of the team is the, is the best thing you can do for them because, you know, our, our job is not without conflict, right? And, you know, sometimes we have conflict with vendors. We have to be people who are comfortable with constructive conflict. Sometimes we have conflict with the customers. Again, we have to be comfortable with ensuring that that's constructive conflict um, and more debate and less argument. You know, when, when I talk to my team, I really want them to be like, hey, you guys are empowered to make decisions. You know, I'm going to stand by you when, those, when you make those decisions. I'm going to, we, I want to work together and think about like how you, what your process is and help improve, you know, your thinking. But I think it's, it, I think it's a detriment to people when you just are prescriptive, right? One of the values that we have is we use machines to do algorithms and we use people to make decisions that require discretion and thought. And so I, I don't want my people just to be following a rubric and going down the list like you can make a, a software can do that, right? I want my people to be when 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 the algorithm fails, that's when we are that's when we're adding value because we need to use our discretion. And um, you know that it has it has some upsides and downsides. I am reticent to give black and white answers to our customers, right? And sometimes that frustrates them. But when I when that happens, I'm like, look. I can give you a black and white answer, but next week you're going to come up with another problem. And we're going to be like, well, the, here's the exception to that black and white answer that I gave you last week, because it's, it's that complicated. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm, I try to make sure that we leave open the door for flexibility so that we can best serve them. Sometimes they don't like that in the, in the now, but once, once they see the course of the relationship, they, they feel better about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with, you know, both both explanations are really good. The only the thing I would add maybe would be um, part of it is in your hiring practices also um, to motivate someone to get the most out of them. It is beneficial when you're hiring that those values are aligned at that point um, when you're that you're hiring people that have aligned values that have a passion for learning that want to find out more about what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it. Um, I'm really proud to say that three of my staff members have gotten their MBAs in the past year. Um, they, you know, with a university setting, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but our, our um, people can take two classes a semester with no cost. I mean, obviously they have to pay for books and have to put the time and effort in, but these employees have made that additional effort to learn and to get that degree. Um, we try to make make sure they're aware of what other learning opportunities there are. Um, a passion for lifelong learning can make a tremendous difference in the ability to motivate someone, in my opinion. Any other advice to somebody who's new to this on where to find that spark? Maybe they don't have the kind of ability to see all of the cool stuff yet. How can they start building themselves out to where they can find that meaning? One of the things that I think they need to do is get out and talk to their their clients, their end users, the departments, um, find out what the pain, their pain points are, find out what they've got planned for the coming year, coming months, whatever, because the more of that communication that they have, the more they'll find out about what's going on, but also they'll be show, showing everyone that they're there to help them as opposed to being that stop sign I was talking about earlier. 
Um, getting involved, like I said, in the different organizations, communicating, like Greg said, finding peers, finding other people at other universities um, that you can share with, share RFPs with, just share ideas with, read. <laughs> That's one thing. Yeah, there's a lot to read out there. And the, I think the more you can read about what's going on in the industry, the um, the blogs, um, Dustin, I know you have a uh, uh, podcasts that they can listen to, um, radio NIGP is another option. There's a lot of opportunities out there to learn and become involved in the profession. And like I said earlier, the chapters, going to a chapter meeting and sitting in the back for the first one is fine. But once you've started meeting some people, get involved, get on a committee or two, because it, it seems like you're just doing chapter work, but what you're doing is um, creating relationships with other people that are doing the same things you're doing. And that will that will inspire you to get more involved at, at the university. One of the things we've done over the past couple of years is, uh, and I'm, I know a lot of other universities do this, is require the students to live on campus that first year. Well, that's not because we're out for their money. It's because it's proven fact that if you get involved in your education, more involved in your education, there's more likelihood that you're going to continue for years two, three, and four and graduate. It's a statistic. So the same thing is true in procurement. The more involved you get with the profession and the people of the profession, the more you're going to get out of it, the more you're going to learn, and you'll end up being in it for 42 years like me. To me, the thing is understanding, I mean, the procurement stuff is important, and not, not to dismiss that, but there's another element, which is understanding the university, right? What's the what's the business pain of your customers, right? You, you Higher procurement is a customer service job. And your success in the role is really heavily dependent on the success of your customers and their perception that you are enabling their success. And that perception is driven by empathy uh, in, and understanding, right? So you you have to understand what their business pain is. You, you should understand like what the big strategic issues of the university are, right? Like what's the enrollment cliff? When is it happening? Uh, you know, what is a PI? What, what, what are the things that are driving the way that they're acting, right? Um, you know, th all the the behaviors in a university you see are not happening in a vacuum. They're because of pressures that are occurring. And, you know, making sure that your customers understand that you understand the pressure they're under to perform um, and that you are, you're not just there to be one more hurdle they have to jump over, but actually a true partner that's helping them overcome those obstacles and, you know, achieve the, the outcomes that they are required to achieve through their federal con grant contract or from the research or to get tenure or whatever else it is. Those are all things that you should be well-versed in and be able to speak to uh, sort of out of hand. Um, if you're going to get, if you're going to build the customer relationships that actually help you earn credibility on campus. Yeah, and I've, if I could join in on that, you know, to take that even further, you know, you, you, you're not just building that credibility on campus, but you're creating these cheerleaders, right, all around campus that can actually kind of um, share their positive experiences with procurement. You just tackle one tough solution together, and you have one of those end users leaving your office like, wow, I can't believe we, we you know, I walked in here very stressed out. I walked in here thinking there was no way out of this kind of mess we have, you know, and they're walking out with a solution. And then they they become your cheerleader. And then 
before long, you know, procurement really can be invited into those strategy sessions. They can have that seat at the table we always talk about because those end users are talking about how helpful you've been. And so just like Greg said, just building that relationship, then before you know it, they can really take that a step further and you can really build that reputation everywhere across your campuses because they know that you're going to help them find those solutions, especially when they're in the jam. They'll pick up that phone hopefully a little earlier next time, right? And to the point that all of you guys made, if you're in a job where it feels small because we haven't designed it to be bigger, I think being able to even talk to your managers or talk to the, to the end user about, I did some research, here's a co-op contract that maybe we can use, or why don't we, it's the same three vendors that respond to the requisition every time. Why don't we think about setting up a master contract with that? That is like a super forward, super strategic way to have a conversation that changes the mentality that procurement is just there to receive paper and process the paper. And so anything that gets in the way of moving my paper is a drag. I think, I think procurement can do that. So learning, you know, you don't have to slay every dragon to find one thing that is a strategic opportunity. And then that starts to change the conversation. Where is the higher ed profession, procurement profession now? And when you look out five, 10 years from now, like what do you see coming for higher ed procurement that will be different or new or something that will, that will impact this industry um, that, that we should talk about while we have you smart people on the line? I think the AI thing is a cliche answer, but it will be impactful, right? I, I think that the particular way it will be impactful for us is that, you know, we'll use, I, I'd imagine we'll be using AI to review contracts. Um, and probably, I mean, even Jagger already has an AI function for, you know, automating PO or sorry, uh, invoice review, right? Um, and so we'll be using those tools. I think there will be a push to automate as much as there will be continued push to automate as much as possible. And so being more strategic and less transactional will be an imperative, not just a uh, a nice thing that you did, right? I think that, you know, there, there is a big, um, you know, change in that we're going to peak, student enrollment is going to peak at some point in the next few years. And there will be an interesting, possibly like consolidation uh, you know, I think that that consolidation is going to be most impactful to the mid-sized schools um, and small schools that are have much lower enrollment and aren't as driven by research. And mm -hmm. so um, it'll be very interesting to see how that all pans out. I mean, University of Oregon, we just bought uh, another campus in Portland, uh, Concordia uh, University closed during the pandemic and we bought their campus and we're opening a second campus. And, you know, that has a ton of challenges um, starting from scratch with the campus. That's been a big part. I've done a lot of work on that over the last year. Uh, and I expect that a lot of people are going to be, you know, doing those sorts of things. And I think the last thing will be uh, more demand to identify like business development type opportunities. And, you know, what I mean by that is I think procurement is a business development function, right? I we, we create value for our institutions. That's what business development is. I don't necessarily think we're a compliance function. We mitigate risk by ensuring compliance, but our job is to deliver value. And, you know, because of this constriction, I think that will be the expectations and the level of value that we deliver either through rebates 
or through you know, contract savings or through ensuring that we're making good choices and what we buy to optimize our operational efficiency and minimize the amount of uh, non-revenue generating labor will be will be high. And so the, the expectations will continue to rise. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think that's a good thing because I think we should be elevating our, our profession in that way. But, the, you know, we'll we'll also, it'll lead to more challenges, right? And hopefully we can we can meet them. Yeah, I would just add to that the same way we talked about going from this transactional phase to the strategic phase. We've talked about that a lot. Um, you know, I feel like I joined higher ed only a year ago, right? And it's kind of metamorphosis stage, right? Where they're coming out of the pandemic, enrollment's been low, um, everybody mostly across the country has been struggling with the enrollment issue, as well as the revenue that goes along with that um, and diversifying that revenue stream. If procurement could be part of that, just like Greg said, I mean, would be huge for our profession and huge for what we can do for these institutions. So um, I think, you know, moving forward and, and where we are currently, we're pretty much in a sweet spot if we really can speak to it and if we can really elevate our departments um, and our functions to be to be at that table to provide those solutions we can we can be that part of that strategy we can save save these institutions money as they as they metamorphose metamorphose that's not a verb what am i saying but as they change and as we become different institutions um and and strategizing you know the delivery of what we're trying to do in the education field um, really can, we're at a perfect spot, I guess, is my point, not just currently, but moving forward, because we'll continue to change, we'll continue to try to navigate through these struggles, and procurement is just optimally positioned to be of assistance in getting through those struggles. I agree. I think the biggest thing we can say is we don't know what we don't know, and um, the next five to ten years are going to be incredibly full of changes, and we're going to procurement's going to have to be right have to be ready to pivot to change things when we have to um it, you know most of us moved quickly to um virtual teaching when covid hit it was helped tremendously by the huge amount of money that we got for that so cameras setting up rooms to be virtual rooms um was done in months rather than the years that we all had anticipated now in three to seven years when all that equipment starts um, coming to end of life, where are we going to get the money and how are we going to replace all that? Um, those are kind of questions we've got to be facing over the next couple of years, figuring out how we're going to do that. Are we going to replace them with the same things or is something going to change again? Um, brick and mortar schools like Mississippi State, we've had to use, a, you know, a lot more virtual, create a lot, a lot more virtual classes. Are, is the virtual class going to be the um, education method of the future? Mm -hmm. If so, what happens to that building, those buildings you just bought in Portland, Greg? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a gamble right now to build a new residence hall because are we going to be able to fill it? Mm -hmm. But you can't wait until you fill it before you build it. So cool. those are all the kinds of things we're going to be involved in. I think the key, like I think both of you indicated that automation and moving um, as many of the simple purchases to quick and easy where we're not touching it, we're not having to worry about it, and focusing more on the communication, the negotiation, the strategic planning, those 
um, higher level things that um, people in the maybe the top purchasing office have been working on, but it, we're going to need our staffs to be working on those too. Uh, in fact, that's going to be their life, in my opinion. As we wrap here in our last couple of minutes, I want to thank all three of you for participating, Greg, Jennifer, and Don. If you're not already following me on LinkedIn, I do a lot of content, so please follow me on LinkedIn and reach out if we can be helpful. And thanks to NAEP for putting the forum together and letting us do it. And, you know, again, to the three of you, uh, it was a great way to end procurement month getting to have a live interaction. And I was watching the participant list the whole time and it held strong the whole time. Like we just lost <laughs> three or four people, but it's been the whole list the whole time. So uh, thank you guys all for participating and hopefully you got some value out of it. Did you no, want to say anything? I was going to say thank you to everyone for attending and a copy of this recording will be available in our LMS in probably about a week for those of you who want to review it or for colleagues of yours who are able, who are unable to attend this session. So thank you to our panelists and Pacific Initiatives for putting on this webinar. And with that, we'll let you guys get back into your day. Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent.